You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome to another episode of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky. Hello, Kiefer. As always, and uh, announce our show sponsors, Hylete Athletic Wear. I, I don't need to tell you more about them. Go check them out on the website. Go check out their website, Hylete.com, H-Y-L-E-T-E.com. And also, this show has no monetary sponsors. Hylete, uh, you know, provides us with athletic wear, uh, which is fantastic, and we appreciate it. They give us a lot of support, but we don't have any monetary sponsors this show is sponsored by Carb Backloading and Carb Night. So if you love the work we do and you haven't bought any of the works or transforming recipes, um, any of those books that we publish, those are what support everything that we do. We just really want to provide good information um, and hopefully provide immense value to everybody out there. So uh, if you've if you bought material before, thank you very much for supporting everything that we do and continue to do. And if not, I, I hope you find the podcast useful enough to to make you want to dive in that direction. So, all right. Today, everybody's been waiting for this, and I think we actually had one stalled attempt, and we might have talked about it a little bit, but we were going to go in-depth on artificial sweeteners today. Uh, very specifically focused on sucralose, since it has been in the news and, the, and a hot topic for a long time, especially in I'm going to knock paleo again, and I know some people dislike it and some people don't care and some people love it, um, that I rag on paleo, that is. But paleo has brought in um, a new face and a new reason to attack everything. And it's not what does it do to the body, what does it do to the person, it's what does it do to your gut microbiome. Uh, so, you know, we, we've got these shifts in focus and it just allows for a lot more information to be a lot more confusing to a lot more people when really at the end of the day, it is just not that complex. It's very simple people. Uh, I, you know, I live my life in an incredibly simple way. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rocky, but your life as far as diet and exercise is concerned is far easier than it ever used to be. Is that correct? Well, other than oh, when you let yourself sure. get overweight. I'm well, sure that would you know, be. I was overweight most of my life anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> would you say this is I'm easier? My way, I'm whittling my way, my way back down. So, I, I don't know if it's easier. I, you know, I think that it certainly has gotten to a point where um, it's not a struggle. Um, I mean, so when it comes to when it comes to working on diet, which is always something that I think for most, which most patients struggle with is trying to figure out what they need to be doing. It's nice that I got to a point where I don't really have to think about anything anymore. It's pretty self, um, self-written. I mean, and, uh, you know, find some fat, find some protein, um, you know, have some water, maybe drink some diet soda and you're off, to, you're off on your way. You know, I, it's funny that we always argue about vegetables as well. And I've kind of gotten, you know, I kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, I don't even care about those anymore. You got yeah. me deluded, I guess. Well, so. you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, everybody, what, well, so, you know, the problem with talking about vegetables and saying that I don't care about them. So now when people see me eat vegetables, they're like, why are you eating that? I thought you don't like vegetables. It's like, I never said I don't like vegetables. I just don't go out of my way to get them. If they're part of the meal or they're already there and they're prepared, 
and I like it, like asparagus, I love asparagus, I love broccoli, I like peppers, then I'm going to eat them. But I'm not going to go out of my way to make sure I get any number of servings of vegetables a day. It just, I don't care and I don't think it makes that big of a difference, <laughs> to be honest, health-wise. If, you, if you've got the, the most important factor under control, and we all know what that is, is carbohydrates. Like, I don't know how long it's going to take for the paleo community to admit this. I don't know how long it's going to take for the U.S. government to admit this. I don't know how long it's going to take for Alan Aragon to admit this, of all people. The problem is carbohydrates. I think we'll be here 100 years later and we'll be having the same conversation. I, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the unfortunate truth. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's a shame because these new movements, you know, they kind of go so far in the right direction, which was actually low carbohydrate. And then they realize that's not palatable enough for everybody and they're looking to expand their market. So now they got to say, oh, OK, well. You know, now we're going to refactor things and paleo is okay with grains if those grains are rice. And it turns out potatoes are safe even though Europeans have only been exposed to potatoes for 500 years. Obviously, it's the same as something we were exposed to for a million years. So those are okay. And, you know, they start twisting their story to make the diet more palatable to get more people on board, which then makes the diet no longer work. And then nobody can figure out why. Yeah. I, and, you know, certainly I know one of the biggest things that, that patients come to me asking when we start about dietary changes, one of the biggest questions they always ask me, can I have diet soda? You know, that's really the, the number one of the number one things that come up. And I think it's one of those things that I see the most, um, I don't want to say nonsense bantied about, but just the most um, confusion that's kind of laid out there from all the talking heads and certainly that the latest nature paper that came out a couple of weeks ago surely did not help the situation either. So and would you I don't like know if that's where you want to start. Yeah, go ahead and expand on that while we're there. Yeah. So there was a paper published in Nature, I think two weeks ago, and they took um it's actually multiple studies in within within one research article. And they got published in Nature, which is a pretty prominent um journal. And what they did was they looked at saccharin, sucralose, aspartame. And then they also had a water group, <clears throat> sucrose group, and a glucose group. And they basically looked at glucose responses and um, did oral glucose tolerance tests depending on what the rats were fed in their water. So they had, you know, any of those five substances or six substances, water, if you count water as a substance. Um, and basically they, they suggested that the, the rats that got saccharin had the highest glycemic response to OGTT, much greater than what you'd saw with sucrose or glucose. And then what they did was they looked at the gut biome and they found that um, the gut biome changed in the rats that got um, saccharin and uh, sucralose. And interestingly enough, uh, then they transplanted the feces from these rats to germ-free rats and they became glucose intolerant. And then they had a couple of human that a human segment of the trial it was only seven patients, but they had um, given them non-intrusive sweeteners, and again then transplanted the feces from the humans to to rats for those human um, um, subjects that had an abnormal glycemic response, and that caused an abnormal glycemic response in the the rats as well. And so they uh, concluded that non-intrusive sweeteners has a major impact on the gut biome. And this has a major impact on glycemic control potentially moving forward in the caution to use of these type of sweeteners. So essentially that was a study. 
Um, what was interesting, though, is they have a, a plot. And so I think we're going to have the study reference, but on page two of the study, uh, on figure one, um, they have a scatter plot. And you look at all the uh, glycemic responses of the rodents on the different substances, they all pretty much have a similar glycemic response. And in the saccharin and sucralose group, there's like four outliers. <laughs> so, right. uh, and it was interesting. They actually then took those, that, that group that got sucralose, and then they gave them antibiotics. So they gave them antibiotics to cover one type of bacteria. And they gave them another set of antibiotics to cover a different type of bacteria. And in those rats, or those rodents, um, the oral glucose tolerance was normal again, suggesting that the antibiotics killed off the negative bacteria. So essentially, that's kind of what the study showed, or at least tried to demonstrate. Mm -hmm. um, but again, um, it's interesting that um, they don't mention anything about the 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 in the, in the plot in the, in the in the study itself. They don't mention the scatter plot, other than you know, look, these two groups are out of out of out of whack. But when you look at the scatter plot, there's only four of the rodents, not the entire group. So it wasn't like that, like the entire group shifted. Right. It's only these four animals. So, you know, you had to, again, look at this and say, well, you know, is this really a, a gut biome effect? Is this actually a sucralose or saccharin effect? Is it something that was by chance and that maybe something that they ate changed the biome? And it was just those four animals that had that issue? I mean, all those things could be plausible. Right. And then, you know, are there – what's funny is, A, they didn't directly measure the makeup of the gut biome. So we, we can't even say what changes or any changes that possibly took place there. And then, B, you know, one of the important sides of science in all of this is are there alternative explanations that could make more sense or that would lead – testing in a different direction or that would explain our current results with our with previous research um, and that's what's really missing here for example you know there, there's no reason to assume we know that uh, receptors for sweetness are all over the body we used to think that was you know a phenomenon in the mouth that's where we sensed sweet sour all these things and that was it well there's sweet there's receptors for the sweet taste from the tongue pretty much all the way to the colon. You can sense sweet molecules all the way through. And so what one possible explanation right here, we know that sweetness can independently trigger uh, an upregulation of the uh, glucose and uh, sodium co-transporters in the intestinal tract. So there's possibility that there's a feedback between the bacteria and that increase that the bacteria then does something to help stimulate that increase. Um, and that would make sense in this context of rather than thinking of a healthy gut makes a healthy person, my thought is always, and Rocky and I have talked about this a bunch, that the, the gut biome is always going to do what it can to help the, the main organism achieve its goals. So if you're eating a diet that makes it look like you're in an environmental situation where you need to store fat. So say if we just imagine that fruit always comes into season or whenever we had it right before winter, you know, towards the fall, then we would imagine that fruit would be really well tuned to help us tr to trigger us to store a lot of fat. 
Well, if the gut biome senses that, since it's evolved with us, it's going to also evolve or it's going to change its behavior to help us get fat in that moment. So the diet kind of dictates what the gut is going to do because it's going to help you achieve whatever goal it is. And if inadvertently your goal is to make yourself obese and sick, your gut just follows along because it wants to match your goal. It wants to help you do whatever it is you need to do so it has a place to live. Um, so what we could see here is that the, the gut biome is actually confused when it's implanted in these other animals that have no germs whatsoever. And then it's given a standard diet that it already had. It's going to keep doing what it was doing. It's confused. It, its prior information came from a whole other animal. So it's confused about what it's supposed to do. So it's going to keep trying to do what it is that it normally does. And I would bet if there were a massive change in that animal's diet over the host animal's diet, that, that we would no longer see that glucose control problem. Um, I think that is a very, very short-term effect that they noticed there. Well, what's even more interesting here was that of the three sweeteners, saccharin, sucralose, or aspartame, aspartame actually had the least glycemic response. Right. And of course, aspartame is the one that gets vilified the most. <laughs> well, it used to be. You know, I think everybody's jumping on suc sucralose these days because it's everywhere. Yeah. And well, you know, and I think the other thing, I think the other thing with sucralose, though, is depending on what form you're getting in it, you know, a lot of times you have to look at what it's, what it's being mixed with, right? I mean. Right. We were just, we were, so before the show, we pretty much did the entire podcast in a <laughs> succinct, like, 10-minute <laughs> rant about, you know, essentially if people would just read the stupid research, or not stupid research, but if they would just read the research out there. You know, we wouldn't have all this craziness going on. And it's, again, this it's that position of omission um, and this position against everything artificial. I mean, we've seen this, uh, you know, the seminal work, I would say, that started this was by um, Rachel Carson back in 1962. She published Silent Spring, which is all about how pesticides and all these artificial chemicals that they're putting on our food – is killing us and giving us cancer. And she had this theory. She literally pulled this theory out of her ass. She had no information to support it whatsoever and claimed that it was scientifically true and published this book. And ever since, the country has been terrified of anything artificial. If it's artificial, it must be poisonous. And if it's natural, it must be good for us. And it doesn't matter concentration or dose. We only care, was it artificial? Okay, poison. Was it natural? Okay, not poison. Well, you know, guess what? Apple seeds, peach pits, um, they, they produce cyanide. So cyanide is completely natural, produced in fruits. So I suggest anybody that thinks that everything natural is completely healthy, go get an ample dose of cyanide because it's completely natural and you're going to die. End of story. Cyanide is extremely poisonous and it's a naturally occurring, naturally produced substance. So, you know, we've got to look on the flip side. And Dr. Bruce Ames is one of the biggest proponents of this. And he wrote scathing reviews of Rachel Carson's work of how unscientific it was, how she warped data to fit her impressions of what was going on in the world. And one of the things he did was you know, he collected and looked at all the cancer research we had in animals and what causes cancer, um, you know, what's carcinogenic. 
And he showed that, you know, these chemicals, it's a coin toss. It's 50-50. When you add up all the chemicals ever tested, it's just 50-50. Half of them come out to be carcinogenic. And it doesn't matter if they're natural or artificial. Um, so we can't just assume that because something's natural or it's artificial, it's, you know, if it's natural, it's safe. If it's artificial, it's, it's dangerous. Um, and I think that's yeah, what yeah, all but, of this but, is. And that myth continues to be perpetuated, you know, day after day after day. I mean, I see it in my practice when patients come in and although our audience probably is adept to this, but, you know, I always get, you know, I give them the the rundown on what they should be doing. And then they come back and said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing agave nectar now instead of sugar, you know, because right. it's natural. Right? Yep. Even though it's 100% <laughs> fructose and extremely fattening, it's like perfect, right? Um, but that, that mentality has is pervasive. It's... Uh, you know, if they go to Trader Joe's, or they go to Sprouts or whatever, you know, health foods they go to, that's always what's, I take this, this is natural. Right. So uh, it's one of my pet peeves, actually, when patients come and see me, I'm like, oh my gosh, can we start all over again? Did we not go over this before? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, but obviously people want to, yeah, want to hear what they want to hear, you know? Right. And that's, you know, I think that's what gave the the soapbox for aspartame, you know, Every every artificial sweetener, whenever it was at its popularity, has come under attack for carcinogen problems or whatever, you know, obesity. You know, now the gut biome is front and center, so everybody's looking at how does it affect the gut biome. You know, everything is – any whatever artificial sweetener is at its kind of pinnacle of use is the thing that gets attacked, and it gets attacked on every front – except for the scientific one. You know, the scientific front paints a very, very different picture of these things. And by all means, I'm not saying that you should replace all of your sweet sweets in the world with artificial sweetener. Like, I would assume there's a toxicity level probably far above what you would normally get in a day. Um, and why somebody would do that, I don't know you know, try to ingest that much sucralose. Um, but in its intended purpose, and there's tons of reviews of the literature, there's tons of epidemiological data, um, there's a large historical data on sucralose in particular, like it's just safe in its intended use, which is to sweeten products and cut down on the amount of sugar that's used in those products. I mean, it, it, it's pretty, pretty, that, pretty much that simple. So why do you think it is that it, you know people still continue to go after it and after it and after it? Is it because they're being they're taking the eye off the ball, so to speak? They're trying to, uh, you know, they're just being diverted. I mean, I think I, so. I, that's one of the things. That, I mean, I think that's one of the things that it just kind of I just crush my head. I'm like, you know, you, you you're complaining about problem X, Y, and Z, and you're looking at one factor that has n probably nothing to do with it. When you could be looking at it, three more factors that probably have a bigger problem or a bigger role in your, your, what your issue is. Well, you know, it's kind of that low-hanging fruit. It's, well, you know, obviously all of my problems are because I'm having sucralose. I'm, I'm taking Splenda with my coffee and it's causing all these problems. And if I just replace it with Stevia, which is really simple to do, I'm going to fix everything. It's going to be magical. I know it. Uh, and you know this is this is the thing that happens every time, and uh, and luckily you know and people don't even realize it. Like stevia, we know it has biological effects, and one of those is to lower blood pressure, and that's actually an indication. If you're on blood pressure medication, you want to be very careful about your stevia usage. 
it could run you into trouble. Uh, and, and people don't care about that, though, because stevia's natural. Well, I don't care. You know, stevia might kill me, but at least it's a natural death, you know, because it's not an artificial <laughs> chemical. You know, I, that's the only thing I'm waiting for that's them okay. to say. Yeah, I, you know, I'm waiting for that to come out of somebody's mouth. In uh, and, and, you know, even people not on medication, it, it could cause issues. And we know that, you know, that's a well-studied phenomenon in, uh, for stevia. And it's actually used to treat high blood pressure in different cultures. It's, it's not here in the United States, obviously, because we only depend on medication or mostly do. Uh, so, but nobody's worried about that. It's like, oh, well, it's natural. It's fine. And I just, I'm never going to be able to get over that. And, you know, paleo pushes that to the, they, they're the new ones who've upheld that gauntlet. If it's natural, it's fine. And what's funny is how perverse that has become in their natural energy bars and their bison bars and their paleo shakes and their paleo powders for this and their freeze-dried cricket powders. I mean, let's stop for a second. Like, how natural is this stuff? That sounds pretty unnatural to me. For one, I don't eat I crickets. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I did. I, I, I didn't realize all those products existed until I actually went to a website and started looking around. And because someone, I had a patient ask me about this certain cookie. And so, like, well, right. do you hear what you're saying? First of all, <laughs> right. But the second, but but the second, I, so I went to this website. I was like, oh my gosh, there's like yeah. a replacement product for everything. Yeah, essentially. I had and somebody from oh. processed. Yeah, highly processed. And there's chemicals that go into the processing part of things. Even people don't realize that those chemicals do end up in the food, but in microscopic amounts. And since they're not part of the actual food makeup, they don't have to report, be reported on the label because they were there for processing. They're not part of the ingredients. Mm. Um, so those things you don't have to label on there. And that's uh, I think one thing that made soy products look so appealing is the chemicals they use to process a lot of soy products is immense and it's very hard on the environment, but they don't have to label any of that because it's not an ingredient in the final food product. And, you know, I'm sure mm. a lot of these paleo items probably have some processing materials that are not healthy for the environment that are being, you know, wasted in I, I want to go back to this. You you hit it on the head. Like these are so highly processed. And I was given some flack the other day because here I am. I ate a piece of brisket. Um, I had some peppers from Little Pepper Bar and some olives. I had some Marcona almonds and an energy and a zero calorie energy drink. And they're like, how can you have that energy drink? That's got artificial stuff in it. But, <laughs> but yet they're eating all like processed crap, even though it was from Whole Foods. It was all prepackaged, processed, like who knew what was actually in it. I'm like, I'm the one eating the healthiest here. Like I'm eating whole food. I knew – I know what this piece of meat was before I cut it up. It was obviously meat. Like you have no idea what's in that thing. Yeah, I mean – yeah, I can. I, 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 that, you that feel my frustration. I, I do because people don't, you know, the thing is, people around me probably don't say anything to me, um, but I know they're thinking it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I mean, I, my, my, Monday through Friday, it's very simple. It's, it's, 
it's some type of protein and typically some form of caffeine and some fat. That's about it. That's yeah. my that's my regimen. I mean, Monday through Friday, essentially, I'm just looking for sustenance. I don't really care about taste or anything like that. So, yeah. But again, um, but you know, being a, in a in a you know physician office, we have people. You know, we have suppliers and vendors that bring us stuff, and you know, we have our fair share of crap sitting around the office, like every other office does. Yeah. So we've actually gotten some people trained though. So so we you know certainly we try to express that we want bacon brought to us and and not muffins. And so um, every once in a while, we get a big vat of bacon that gets delivered to our, our practice, which is kind of interesting because then you have the whole office smelling of bacon in the morning. So, <laughs> so, so let's – yeah. We, we can obviously get off on the bacon tangent. <laughs> but, you know, uh. but one thing that – the other thing that I, I was going to – hopefully I won't cut you off. But I think the other thing that really kind of is confusing for a lot of people is that a lot of these headlines are based on studies that are correlative they're not causative. They're not. They're not investigational designs. They're looking at large epidemiological population bases and, and looking at and looking at relationships, right? Yeah. So a lot of you know one of the things that we see is that that these artificial sweeteners are correlated with patients who have higher risk of disease, whether it's diabetes, obesity, hypertension, um, and you've seen multiple uh, multiple reviews looking at this or looking at different population bases um, uh, that look at a study that was doing was looked at actually for one reason, but then they went back and looked at diet records or whatnot. Um, right. and, well, and so we don't have a lot of investigational data out there, but that what we do is actually quite reassuring. Right. And you, you've also got to take into perspective some of these things that are lauded as studies and they're not. So one that's very popular right now is, you know, artificial sweeteners produce the counterintuitive effect of inducing metabolic derangements by uh, Swithers. And then uh, another one that titles awesome, gain weight by going diet, artificial sweeteners in the neurobiology of sugar cravings, neuroscience 2010. And that's by Yang. Um, and we'll have, we'll have links to these like we always try to do. But those papers, like you can make reference to them. Uh, you could use those references to support some something you say about how negative diet sodas are or how negative diet products are or how negative artificial sweeteners are. Both of those papers are complete opinion pieces. They're not research in any way. They're not even epidemiological. One of the papers, Yang, he wrote his paper and he even says, oh, well, this came out of a conversation that I thought was interesting that maybe people get fat when they go on a diet and here's my explanation why. He didn't even look for statistics to see if people gain weight when they go on a diet. He's just assuming that if they do gain weight when they go on a diet, this might be the reason and he blames it on diet sodas or diet, diet products because of artificial sweeteners. So these are the kind of things that are being used as references of how dangerous or how fattening artificial sweeteners are. And we know that they're not. You know, we have – a direct study that unfortunately its results are somewhat tainted because they took spot they they basically took beverage co- coupons from uh, Pepsi and Coca Cola to help run the study, which is unfortunate because the study was was conducted very well. It was a small pool of people, but they showed that water versus if the people could have diet soda, they lost more weight on the diet soda than using water. And they suspected that that's because their sweet cravings were uh, – they were able to counteract their sweet cravings with the diet soda. 
Um, very interesting study. I think it was very well done, but again, tainted in a lot of people's eyes because it was supported by the beverage industry. Uh, and it would be great to redo it without that taint. And I, I would bet anything the results are going to be the same. And were you going to say something, Rocky? I was going to say, yeah, well, I didn't say, I bet you the results probably are better than what's in the study because um, it was an intent to treat. Uh, and they had, um, I think, a th- 25 uh, participants or a third, a quarter of the participants didn't complete the study. Correct. Yeah. And so, um, but they included all their data. So yep. we don't have yeah. like isolated completer data. Right. So I bet if we had just isolated completer data, it'd probably be actually much more favorable. Well, even better. Yeah. Better in the diet soda side. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so let's talk about what we know and let's focus on sucralose. Let's look at the science of what we know about sucralose. Um, one thing interesting about sucralose is it's really difficult for anything to metabolize. The human body, bacteria, it turns out it's an amazingly inert chemical. Um, and there's actually been several studies, we'll list them, looking at this problem of, well, A, how do we break sucralose down? Like what can we do to it to actually get it to react? It's amazingly heat-stable, Regardless of people talking about, oh, if you bake with sucralose, it might turn into these poisonous chemicals, that, that's never been demonstrated. That's total theory. Nobody's ever baked a product with sucralose and said, look, we found these toxic chemicals. We, we don't have that. That's theoretical at the moment. It's amazingly heat stable. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but if it does, it's probably in, I would guess, parts per billion in what you eat, which is – more than safe. Parts per million is usually the bar for okay. You can eat this if it's parts per million or less. Is it some of the? Is it some of the uh, negativism though? Comes from the meta- you know the accounting for the sucralose. So we say it's inert, but what seventy or eighty percent gets excreted in the feces, something like that. So you're left with like twenty twenty five percent that they get to account for, and so right, people kind of hammer on that. Well, that's in the feces. If you collect sweat, uh, urine, and feces. You do collect, and I I can't, I think it's, is it 48 hours or a week? Mm, I don't recall. I don't remember, but you re, you recover 100% of the sucralose. It's hard to do with people, obviously. It's hard to collect all of their sweat, all their saliva, you know, all of that kind of stuff to make sure. But um, in animal studies, if you collect everything that comes out of the animal, you'll collect 100% of the sucralose that they ingest. And I can't remember if it's two days' time or a week's time, but you get it all. It comes out. And that's even true in the environment. It doesn't break down in the environment. They have a hard time finding ways to break it down. They have to expose it to intense UV light for a prolonged period of time to get it to break down into anything. And then once it gets into the environment and gets attacked by bacteria and everything, and everybody's like, oh, it's dangerous for your gut biome. It kills bacteria. No, it actually doesn't. It's bacteriostatic. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect if, – if you try to incubate the gut bacteria that you have in sucralose, nothing will happen. It does not grow. It does not die. It just can't use it. it, it nothing happens just like the human body. Oh, imagine that. So you just pass it through. That's all that happens with sucralose. It happens in the body, happens in the environment, happens with bacteria. Nobody can do anything with it, not even the bacteria. Um, there is some evidence that certain crustaceans 
may have some issue if levels of, of sucralose get too high in the water that they're in. But it's levels that, I mean, you would have to be dumping sucralose into the into some poor crustacean's tank to make that happen. So at the moment, we've got no problems environmentally, animals, human body, maybe some crustaceans have some issues, even bacteria can't metabolize it. Like, I don't know what else you want from this stuff. I mean, that it's building up in the environment is bad, but on the flip side, we got to look at the fact of why it's building up in the environment. Because it's inert. Because it doesn't do anything. Um, and they've had various studies. They've looked at this stuff. Um, environmental impact. So far, there is none. And they can't predict what concentrations would be required to have an environmental impact because it just doesn't do anything. Um, so this is what we know about sucralose. This is what we know it's about its stability. Um, there's been some great reviews. A very recent review, uh, 2013, is just called sucralose and they go through the chemistry of this stuff the heat stability um all kinds of characteristics even how you could produce it i mean this is a very in-depth study of sucralose safety data excretion data um you name it it is in this paper uh so if you have a chance to have access to that paper i suggest you look at it is that the aldeeb paper yes aldeeb okay okay and so, you know, we've got – so this is what we know about sucralose and its stability and its toxicity. So far, like it's not toxic to anything, even the bacteria in your gut. We, we've got absolutely no evidence of that. And when we directly try to incubate bacteria in high levels of molar solution of sucralose, so just high concentrations of sucralose, nothing happens. The bacteria just don't grow. That's it. They don't die. They just don't expand. That's it. So if whatever whatever problems you've caused with your gut bacteria, they're going to be exactly the same after that Diet Coke. Or, well, I guess Coke Zero is the one that uses Splenda. They're going to be exactly the same after that. Whatever gut issues you've got with your bacteria, it's going to be the exact same gut issues you have with your bacteria once the Splenda makes it through your system. No difference whatsoever. And then, so again, it depends on what the you know what you're probably consuming the sucralose with, then, correct? Right. And certainly, if you're consuming sucralose in a non-carbohydrate environment, um, you're probably you probably have shape. really, yeah, you're probably have very little to worry about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we were about to go there. Why carbs could cause a problem? Um, obviously, you know this. I don't know how fair this is since Rocky and I have already had this conversation before the podcast, so we're extremely prepared. <laughs> Actually, we've had this – how many times have we had this conversation? We've gotten on the phone and just ranted about know. this. I don't know how many times. And we just keep digging. At least, what, at least 10. Yeah, and what's funny <laughs> is every time we go back and we really – we've really been digging hard for any convincing research that sucralose in particular is something to worry about. And I worry the most because that's the one, A, that I use and, B, that I recommend. I mean I – I don't want to be recommending stuff just out of dogma. It, I want to make sure this stuff is safe and helpful for people, and and it's what I use. I don't want to poison myself. So you know, we we've really been trying hard to look for something that would be like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna scratch my head on that one, and I'm gonna worry a little bit. But w neither of us have found that. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Rocky. I like I haven't seen that, yeah. and you've never brought it up. 
I've never, I've never, I've not come across anything that was, you know, that was really a piece of research that say you should not be doing this. Right. Or and, even to um, make us scratch our heads. Yeah. Really. I mean, and again, like I said, most of the stuff that gets brought up um, that hits the headlines, that hits social media, typically are articles that are not interventional studies, you know, or not studies at you know, all. They're opinion pieces. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, it's it's difficult to say why this continues to be an issue. I, you know, I was actually on the old um, athlete. Um, what was that? I can't even remember it anymore. The D, uh, the DH forum. Uh, oh, athlete and, IO uh, now. It, athlete IO, yes. And so I, she was on there I don't know, over the weekend for one reason or another, and uh, just snurfing around. Uh, and even today, you know, even as as of this summer, people are talking about artificial sweeteners and uh, on the forums and. You know, you shouldn't be doing this too much. You should to get the, the drops and not the powder and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so we'll, so we'll, yeah, we'll get into things to worry about with artificial sweeteners a little later. But let's finish with, uh, or, or let's continue with what we know about sucralose. Um, you know, one thing that I found very interesting, and I mentioned this earlier, and that's that sweet receptors are found all throughout the body. And that includes the beta cells of the pancreas. These are the cells that produce insulin. They have receptors for sweetness. And it turns out that different artificial sweeteners trigger different reactions in the beta cells um, to be either primed for insulin production or not. Uh, so it's really interesting. What we find is that sucralose in particular – uh, does an up, uptick in both uh, calcium, uh, cal calcium ion uh, concentration, which then you know allows greater absorbs absorption of glucose in the beta cell, uh, which is necessary to produce insulin, and it also shows an increase in cyclic AMP. So both of these actually activate the pathways for metabolism in the beta cell to start producing insulin. But there's a key missing, and this is why we don't see it uh, when we take artificial sweeteners alone or we inject them. There needs to be a, a certain threshold of glucose available to then spark the release of insulin. So essentially, and sucralose is one of the ones that does this. They all act a little different, but sucralose specifically can enhance insulin production from a glucose load, and we know the mechanisms of this. So it wouldn't be surprising if if you were really going to research sucralose and you wanted to make it look bad, what you would do is you would give sucralose to people before giving them a glucose load, and then what would happen is they'd have a higher insulin response because sucralose actually amplifies the beta cell's production of insulin in response to a glucose load. Glucose is absolutely necessary to make this happen, but sucralose amplifies the insulin release. So if you want to make it look like sucralose causes problems, you would design a study where you give sucralose first and then, like I said, a glucose intervention later, which is exactly what one of the studies that gets paraded around did. It was a very small study, poorly controlled, um, you know, not very well done, and that's exactly what the researchers did. 
They gave sucralose directly before giving the people a glucose load, which we know from how sucralose works that they should get a bigger insulin release from that exact same uh, glucose load, which is what the researchers used to say that sucralose caused blood sugar control issues. It didn't. It just cre- it just increased a larger amount of insulin. That's it. So we we know this. We know why this works. We know this functionality. So knowing that, we can go back and say, okay, well, this is really simple. If you're going to have artificial sweeteners, don't have them with carbs. Or later in the day, if you're on carb backloading or carb night and you're going to have carbs, don't have artificial sweeteners. Use the real stuff. How much easier could get this? Could this get? Well, I was going to say, you know, and this may lead to why some of the observational stuff is there when you look at large populations because, you know, you're looking at populations that are probably metabolically deranged to begin with. So you already set up a, a situation where you kind of set them up for failure already. And then if you then correlate the artificial sweetener use with their, re, you know, the risk of having obesity and hypertension and whatever disease that you're looking at, well, of course that's going to happen because they're already eating, they're already eating the way they should be eating and then you're selecting for those patients that have the higher amount of uh, a sweetener in them. So it's right. kind of like a uncontrolled experiment. Yep. Yep. And so we see that correlation simply because, like you said, they're already deranged and then they're getting a bigger insulin response, which is probably deranging them, you know, possibly more. I, I'd, I'd be really curious if those extra insulin excursions slow the onset of diabetes i could see where they would increase the onset of obesity but slow the actual incidence of diabetes Does that makes sense well i think if I, I think there would be a situation where it could potentially accelerate the way you get to diabetes because if you continually hammer the pancreas and continue to have higher excursions you know in a sense you're whipping the pancreas every time you're doing that Right. So well, I was just thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, the pancreas might crap out sooner, but I was thinking maybe you might see uh, the incidence of type two diabetes, the formation, take a little longer because you have those yeah, larger I insulin that, excursions mm-hmm. to to well, prevent you might the not blood catch sugar. It early enough, you might you might not catch it as early potentially. Right. right? Because you know, so because they're being covered essentially, but in right, a situation exactly. where you're you're walking off a cliff. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you're, yeah, exactly. That that was my point. And, and I think it would distinctly help you to gain body fat for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if you're over consuming calories, like everybody probably in, you know, that's, you know, look at these populations probably are, you know. Right. So one of the worst things you could do is go to, and Oprah, I don't know if you remember this, Oprah had some hugely obese woman on her show once um, who was on the show. And it was funny, they kind of, they set her up or I, you know, I don't know, but they, she was like, you know, I don't know. I don't eat that much food. And they'd had a camera person just following her all day. She went to McDonald's and o- ordered something like, uh, two Big Macs, a couple quarter pounders, two large French fries, a couple of the apple pies and a large diet Coke that <laughs> conceivably could have been even worse than if she'd just gotten a regular large Coke. <laughs> well, I, it, I guess, you know, not eating a lot of food is a matter of perspective, right? <laughs> right, yeah. She got she got grilled over that one. Like, her face turned red when they played the video for the audience. She's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. maybe I eat more than I should. 
But you know, but that's what's funny. I think people do that. They order a lot of food, and then they order a diet drink with it, yeah. thinking that that somehow makes things better. That could actually make things worse if you're going to go. Well, that's a, go ahead. I say that's a term that they use in the, in a couple of research uh, papers. Uh, reverse causality is what I saw. They call that reverse causality. So that that is the justification of the other foods. Um, potentially being the actual X factor, not the artificial sweetener. Right. Because of, of that behavior. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, you know, just, just the fact we know that could make their condition worse and accelerate problems. I mean, we should just be telling them, look, you know, it, sure, it's a lot of calories, but no, like, I don't, I actually, I don't know where the balancing point is. Maybe, maybe there's really no difference. Maybe for, in that scenario... Uh, until we have some really good data, maybe it just doesn't matter. Have the regular Coke, have the Diet Coke. We don't know. Yeah, I, I think when you're you getting to the, get the point where you're eating that much volume of food, I don't know if another four or 500 calories is going to really break the bank there, right? No. I mean, yeah, I mean. Honestly. We definitely have limitations uh, about, unfortunately, they're very high, but there's obviously limitations on how fast you can accumulate body fat. Uh, and. And I say that because in recent history, we've had two women who have, you know, pledged that they are going to become the largest woman ever on record and hopefully the largest person. And, you know, they're both attempting it. And, you know, they, they found out it's actually after a certain point, it didn't matter what they ate. They had a really hard time gaining weight. They had a hard time continuing to do that. Uh, and, and what they found is, you know, there's just you have to be special to hit those massive fattest person in the world numbers. The fattest person ever in recorded history was 1,600 pounds. I think these wow. women got up. Yeah, these, <laughs> these women got up to like 700 pounds. That's it. And they were trying really hard. Yeah. I mean, so that. Well, that's, that, that's probably probably a subject for another podcast, my guess would be. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, there's limitations there. Just like everybody claims there's a fat thermostat that, that says how thin you can get. I, th I think there's some sort of, you know, predisposition of how fat you can actually get as well. Um, so anyway, we're, we're way off topic. Um, but the, see, you know, these are the things that artificial sweetener conversations relate to. They relate to everything. Uh, you know, it's don't take them because they're going to make you obese. Don't, don't drink a diet Coke because it's going to completely obliterate your gut microbiome. Um, you know, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Like it scientifically, not only is it unproven, some of it is disproven. You know, that's the thing we, we have no evidence whatsoever that diet beverages or sucralose are going to hurt your gut biome. End of story. There, the evidence can be explained in one of three or four different other ways that's far more plausible and based on research that we actually have, and not speculation. So those are the so we, we, so we talked about we, we talked about diet being one of those, right? You don't know what the food is doing. What would right. be the other couple other explanations? Well, so for example, the the gut biome mimicking what what it's supposed to do to help the organism achieve its goal. You know, we we see so, that constantly. If you change the organism's diet for a certain goal, the gut biome follows suit. Every time. Now, there could be infections. Infections are obviously a different scenario. But in a healthy person, the gut biome mimics what the person 
is trying to do health-wise. If they're not paying attention to health, trying to get obese, the gut biome follows suit. As soon as they switch things, start trying to get healthy, maybe they don't eat carbohydrates, guess what? The gut biome follows suit. Um, so that is, a, a, again, a far more plausible explanation for what's going on when we look at these uh, bacteria transplant studies than to just say, oh, no, it's the gut biome that drives everything. No, you know, I don't think that's the case. I think the gut biome has an intimate connection to us, but we're the ones who are in control in that scenario. And and the other explanation is, you know, the the distinct difference in what sucralose, what we know about sucralose and sweetness receptors. It affects them different than other artificial sweeteners. Uh, and this has implications all the way from permeability of the gut um, absorption of certain nutrients, uh, the reaction of those nutrients in the pancreas. Uh, it has some consequences on GLP-1 excretion. So, you know, these are all things we know about. We've got research for. We know the consequences. We know the cascade. We don't need to make up stories beyond that. W was that good enough, Rocky, to answer your question? I think so. <laughs> you know, I, again, I am, I, I am trying to speak for the masses, so I'm, in, I'm, I'm channeling the masses of their questions. So <laughs> no, I, I think understand. That was, that was suffice. <laughs> okay. What's that? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's a good, uh, we always need a devil's advocate with me around. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know, is there, is there any more to be beaten here? I mean, is there, what, what else well, um, can we say about, about sucralose in terms of, well, potential negative, potential positive effects. I, I mean, I've seen data suggesting that actually it may be beneficial when you're changing diets from something that's high in sugar to, to sucralose as an additive to prevent dental caries. Yeah. It can prevent, uh, it can reduce the acid load from coffee. So if you're making coffee and putting sucralose in your coffee, like I know some people do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that might be me. Yeah, that, that can, that might be you. Yeah. <laughs> I have witnessed this, by the way. So, I mean. <laughs> What, it's only the, like the 12, 12 packs, 12 little packs. I think it was 12. Yeah, yeah I think 12. I saw 10. Well, oh, the request was 10, but yes. Yeah, that's yeah. What it was. <laughs> yeah, 12 packets. I don't, I don't even care. Um, we, we actually do have some more to say about it um, because, uh, oh, oh, well, yeah, you just, you hit one of them. I mean, they've got controlled studies that are pretty well done, you know, not large populations. Um, although some of them, they, they do some interesting stuff with like, you know, groups of a hundred or things like that. And they, you know, they've shown that, you know, replacing sugar with sucrose actually improves a lot of, uh, health parameters, but you know, the interesting thing, you know, it helps produce um, glu blood glucose control, insulin secretion, uh, C-reactive peptide, you know, all these things. Um, the interesting thing about those studies is, though, they're trying to replace all of the carbohydrate in those or as much as possible. So they've decreased the carbohydrate load, um, which isn't always done like we just talked about when people add a Diet Coke or add a Coke Zero or add something like that to their meal. Uh, so, you know, knowing all of this, we can look at these studies in a very different way and look at, you know, instead of each of the studies saying something radically different, like we, we kind of assume they do, we can go back and look at what are 
the underlying factors so that we can see how they all fit together in the known science. And they do. We don't have any outliers. We don't have any study that's way out in left field that said, oh, my God, you know, these people had Coke Zero for a month and they all got terminal liver cancer. Like we don't we don't have anything like that, that that's unexplainable. Everything we have is really explainable in the science that we have. And what it says is if you're eating carbohydrates, don't have diet drinks. If you're not eating any carbohydrates, diet drinks will do absolutely nothing um, except give you some satiety for if, if you've got a sweet tooth. Um, that's about it. But one, you know, you brought up the forum, which the forum is just a mess. And that's why we're going to take down the old forum. And I don't know if we're going to start a new one or what we're going to do there, but it is such a mess because it is the actual antithesis of everything that I started with this. And that's science-backed suggestions and procedures, which does not happen in the forums. People just make shit I, up. I, I, uh, it's horrible. I think people are going to fight you on that. <laughs> really? I think so, yeah. I you mean, think people there are with a lot the of Wild West? That- I, well, I mean, as long as they realize it's the Wild West, I mean, it's a total you, you Wild certainly, West. I was, like I said, I, I, I was, like I said, I was in there the other day, and and there's actually a lot of people who probably followed um, a lot of your stuff for many, many years, and, and actually kind of control some of the Wild West to a certain degree. It's amazing. I uh, there are a lot of new people on there uh, even now. I mean, I saw posts as, re- as recent as like a couple of days ago. So people are still going to the forums and sharing their experiences. Um, maybe it should be renamed or yeah, delineated as a as a user forum instead of just uh, something that's a reference to to yeah. um, to everything. But we but I, I still think that it's, there's a place for it somewhere along the, yeah, the gestalt. I, I th- <laughs> well, I you know I think the community is really helpful. I just want a better way to implement it, maybe, and maybe there is no better way. Maybe the Wild West is the way to go, and just let it figure itself out. Um. You know, but, I mean, but one and thing – there's good – Well, form, hold on. It's, it's wait, 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 okay. wait, 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 wait. I want to get back to the point on topic, which was not the forum, which is what you said you found on there, which was people talking about artificial sweeteners. And maybe if you're having trouble, then cut back on your artificial sweeteners. And that's probably kind of my fault because of the ACE-K thing and, you know, some studies that were found with mice and ACE-K can be metabolized by beta cells. It turns out actually all artificial sweeteners – are to some degree, um, and they can exacerbate insulin release. They may not actually cause insulin release. So we've got a lot of confounding factors there. Um, and, and so that caused a lot of confusion with artificial sweeteners. I can say this, people who drink tons and tons of soda that have problems, usually when they cut back on the soda, and I don't know if it's the soda or something else that they do when they cut back on the soda – it usually helps them out for a while. It helps them get over a plateau if they've hit one, especially initially. Um, but what we also know, if you're already, and I wrote an entire article on this on, well, I think it was Athlete.io is where it still is. It will be moving to body.io. All that content will move over. Um, but it very specifically talked about, you know, if you're, if you're metabolically deranged, so you already have, signs of insulin resistance um, and you've got some blue blood glucose tolerance problems um, just you might be in the phase where just the taste of something sweet 
can cause an insulin response. This only happens when you become deranged, metabolically deranged. Plenty of research. I've got that article on Athlete.io uh, that talks about that. It's basically a Pavlovian effect, and they can actually produce this in skinny people. They can ha- make skinny people have a Pavlovian res- insulin response to just the taste of sweetness. So they, you know, we know the mechanism of how this works. What we unfortunately don't know is how long that takes to untrain, um, and you know how long the how long that might last. So you might be susceptible to that for some time. I'm not sure, and that could be something we see, especially when you initially start the diet, because usually that's when I see the biggest effect from that diet soda rule. If somebody's just starting the diet and they're having a hard time, if they lay off the diet sodas, suddenly it's a lot easier for them. And like I said, I can't say exactly what all those factors are, but that could be a contributing factor. Just the taste of that Diet Coke could be causing some insulin release. Um, So we've got to detrain them. that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting a glucose response, though, correct? No, that is correct. I mean, we could, might just it, have an insulin response. So so, so the question no, is so there, this, well, what is the insulin doing? I mean, insulin could right then be stopping fat mobilization and creating a propensity for fat storage, even without glucose around, right? And, and it, I suppose it could be, but I find it hard to believe that the area under the curve is such a great differential that, um, you know, well, that's going to be a major People who have and, this and, Pavlovian and response have a normal yeah. insulin response from the taste of the sweet okay. food. Their body's anticipating a glucose load. So, wouldn't it matter? so then again, it comes back to the fact that then it matters what you're eating with that sucrose load, correct? Well, a raise in insulin should cause an increase in lipogenesis. Well, regardless, an increase of of insulin, even under a glucose clamp, stops or decreases the – well, it increases lipogenesis, decreases lipolysis basically is what I'm trying to say. Right. So LPL and HSL. Yeah, even in under a glucose clamp. So if you clamp glucose levels to blood sugar – normal blood sugar levels – and increase insulin, then you drive the process backwards of fat mobilization and drive it back toward fat storage. So it would be a physiological problem if you have that problem. That's the problem. Like you would have to go get tested for that. There's no way you could just know. So if you wanted to be completely safe, you would want to start the diet, especially if you're starting overweight, you would want to start the diet and try to get rid of those diet sodas. If you can't, I wouldn't worry about it that much. Um, and if that's the case, have those diet sodas at night, probably your best bet. But, you know, th- those could cause problems for that reason, and I would assume we can detrain the body in about the amount of time it takes to train it for that response, which I believe in this study was like four weeks, four to six weeks. Was it? I gotta assume there's a considerable larger volume of diet soda drinkers in in, in these populations. Look at it. I, I can't imagine. Is that the case, or do we not, didn't really specify what you've seen? They didn't really look at volume of in these deranged patients. In these drink, no, they were just looking at. They were just doing that, just like the absolute taste. Response. Yes, absolute response from the taste of sweetness. Got it. Okay. 
So I believe they were they were some of them did artificial sweeteners and some of them used sham feedings where they would have them chew up something sweet and spit it out. Right. So they didn't actually so, ingest so it, I, but they go ahead. This last bit of our conversation here sounds very contradictory to what we were saying earlier. And what has to be really, really stated here as your favorite phrase is it depends. Yes. Right? It depends on the population you're looking at. Right. And see, I <laughs> so don't we're not be we're not trying to be hypocritical here. We're just trying to, you know, give you different scenarios and different population bases where it may make a difference. But even there, we don't even have solid signs behind it. Right. So let's let's break this down before we end the show. If you are particularly younger, um, healthier, you exercise often, you don't carry a lot of extra body fat. Um then in that scenario, diet sodas are going to do one of two things. If you are on a ultra-low-carb diet, which may not be ketogenic, it's just ultra-low-carb, a diet soda is pretty much not going to do anything. It's just going to go, it's going to give you a sweet response. Maybe that's going to make you happy. It's going to flow right through you. End of story. If you are on a diet that contains carbohydrates, it could cause a larger insulin spike than normal. Um, we can't go into all the consequences of that because there are several. Some are good, some are bad. But those are the two things that are going to happen. If you're young and healthy, don't have diabetes, you're not very metabolically deranged yet. So that would mean starting carb night if you were going to do that. Don't worry about diet sodas. Have them as much as you want. Not a big deal. Stay away from them on your carb night. Carb backloading. Have cyan, have soda maybe in the beginning of the day, not a big deal. Don't have it with your carbs at night. Pretty simple. Now, if you're overweight and you have some metabolic derangement, um, for example, you, you're to the point that you need to see Rocky or you need to see your doctor for certain things, um, then you want to be more careful. The lesson in the story here is diet sodas may be causing you harm, period. Um, so if you're starting a diet like carb night, you would really try to limit your diet soda consumption, period. Like, try to end it. And if you can't, try to save it for the evenings. Save it for later in the day. If you're, on, if you're doing carb night. If you're on carb backloading, um, I guess maybe you just don't want to worry about it. Just have them in the morning. Hopefully, you, could stay, you can stay away from them in the morning, and then the carbs at night will help to satisfy you. But... To be honest, if you're really metabolically deranged, you need to be doing carb night. Carb backloading is not the ideal diet for you, not the way the book is written. Uh, there, there's just a lot that's not in the book that needs to be covered if you want to use it for health. Okay, I think I covered so the, everything. I want, to I, want to, I want to clarify the carb night scenario just to make sure I heard you right. So okay. if you're on carb night, ultra low carb, not a problem. Correct. On, on, the actual, actual, on, the actual, on your carb night where you're eating carbs... Actually, wouldn't that be something where it wouldn't matter? Because you're looking uh, for the insulin spike. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't. It wouldn't matter what, what your choice was. So it, it makes it even easier on carbonate because it probably doesn't matter either way unless you're cheating. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so, that, so then you could use it on carb backloading as well. So carb backloading yeah. specifically, if you want a bigger insulin response from less carbs, which is a, a really good idea – you would want to use something sweetened with sucralose in that instance because we know that one in particular causes causes an enhanced insulin secretion. 
So if you wanted like to a new use, chapter for the new book, well, you know what? Well, actually, there's a lot in the new book. <laughs> there's there's other there's other methods of doing this too, of spiking insulin levels uh, with more normal yes. food and more paleo approved ways. Because I know paleo people are gonna like probably have you know Mary almost <laughs> yeah they'll probably have nearly a they'll have a gluten type reaction from listening to this podcast. I'm sure. Um, but but you know. It, if, if you're more worried about the food that you consume than the little bit of sweeteners that you consume, like me, I'm more concerned about the actual food that I eat. I don't care about the sweeteners. You could eat more regular whole foods, healthier foods, quote-unquote, like white potatoes and white rice, and bi- get a bigger insulin response if you added some Splenda to that meal. Um, that's what we're seeing here in this research. Uh, so even if you're healthy and you're on carb backloading, you could you could actually use Splenda for even better effects of carb backloading and probably better health effects as well. Uh, if if that's if that is of great concern to you, and it should be, uh, all these programs you know are here to make people healthier and perform better. Um, but it, I think it's one of the things we didn't get we didn't get to is the anti-inflammatory effect that we had saw, seen in one of those papers with uh, sucralose, right? Yeah, it was interesting. So, so was, yeah. Well, Go ahead. No, I I don't remember. I I just I remember we talked about it, but I actually hadn't looked at the at the at the paper. Yeah, so you, it, you had to mention it before we came online. Yeah, you can look at it. Um, we'll have that one in there. Right it's interesting. It kind of points in the direction that sucralose could be an anti-inflammatory. Um, it could it could decrease. It could actually you know give you lower reactions to your food react to your uh, supposed food allergies that everybody tells you you have that you probably don't. I think it had an effect on uh, interleukin-6, I think is what it was. Yep, interleukin-6, and unfortunately interleukin-10. So I said it needs to be more, which could could mean you have a milder immune response to an actual real threat. Um, the interleukin-6 interleukin uh, downregulation is a good thing. You'd have lower... Um, benign allergy reactions. Uh, but interleukin it's also interleukin six is, is also a precursor for HSCRP as well. So oh. we, we you know people talk about HSCRP as being a mm-hmm. cardiovascular risk marker too. Yep. So. Yes. So sucralose could actually be cardiovascular, cardioprotective, <laughs> and anti-inflammatory. And, and now we're really way out on a limb. Well, but see, that's the thing. Like, if we were going to be irresponsible, we would just say, oh, my gosh, everybody, you need to load up on sucralose because it's anti-inflammatory. We've got this one research uh, paper. We're just going to put the citation, and we're going to claim that that's all we need. That would be very misleading. There's, there's just evidence here that sucralose, you know, because of its benign character and its ability to, you know – basically put things in an isolated environment sometimes and not let them interact with the glucose like they normally would, um, you know, could have some actual benefit. Uh, even though it's artificial, even though it's something that doesn't didn't exist in nature, it does now, it's everywhere, um, you know, it, it still could have benefits um, and, no si- and no downside. You know, we have to realize and that. Again, we- I, I, I- yeah, I say, you know what, the key then is, you know, and this is what I love about some of the principles that I've come across and working with you is that, you know, it really depends on the situation and using whatever tool you have in whatever way you're going to have in a specific way. So, and not to just kind of blindly say, 
this is not something we should be doing or shouldn't be doing, but using substances and chemicals, whether they're natural or not natural, in a positive manner and looking at those ways of how they work in a positive manner and obviously negating the negative ways that they occur, they harm us, right? I mean, right, and that's exactly that's how you approach medicine, to- um, which is you know one reason we work so well together. You're not against medication; you just see it as an adjunct. I mean, some sometimes it's really necessary. Correct. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and sometimes I can actually use a medication to reach an endpoint as well. So, so even though it may not be a natural thing, and it might be "quote unquote" medication um, used in the right scenario, it actually may help someone get to an endpoint they're trying to get at. Yeah, and, and in and in a healthy way, one that's you know maybe there's a downside, but it's not destructive and it's not something that's going to cause permanent damage. Uh, you know, it's just. That's that's what this, all of this that that we're doing here is about. Um, trying to t- teach people how to use all this stuff. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, just about nothing is off the table. I mean, to be honest, if you have a weakness for McDonald's fillet of fish, which everybody by now probably knows that I do, like <laughs> I am just not bothered and apparently neither is my body, my mind or any part of me when once every few months I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go through the McDonald's drive-thru and I'm going to eat four of those things. And I'm going to eat them all probably before I get out of the parking lot. Like it has no effect on me. My soul is bothered by that. Well, you know, you you (laughs) might have issues with it for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, the point is everything I do is so easy and like so on point, quote unquote, even though it seems easy. It's so on point. Like doing that every once in a while just makes no difference. Now, could I do that every week? maybe I would, uh, I would assume doing that once a week would start to actually cause problems. Could I do it once a month? You might, yeah. yeah. Once a week, it might, you might be crossing the hormetic threshold. There. Yeah. Yeah. That might be bad. One, <laughs> once a month. Well, I'm, I'm definitely not going to claim that McDonald's is hormetic because I'm not sure there's any benefits whatsoever. Uh, I just like filet of fish. I think they taste good. Um, and you know, once a month, maybe I could get away with it, but, you know, I usually don't do it mo- more than once every two months. That's like the max I do it. But, you know, like I said, nothing's off the table. Uh, you know, it affects nothing for me as in a negative way. And that's the way we should look at everything. Everything that you enjoy, I promise you, there is a way for you to enjoy it where it will not cause you health problems, where it will not cause you performance problems. Um, in some instances, it can even improve your health and improve your performance. So um, these are the things we're trying to elucidate and make clear and easy for everybody. Um, and do you have any comments, Rocky? Because that feels too, like a good place to to tune out for me. No, I think that's a good place to tune out as well. All right. So another episode of Body IO FM. Uh, remember, please like us on iTunes. Give us reviews. Visit the website, body.io. Check it out. Uh, If you haven't bought any materials and we've piqued your interest, you can check out any of the books we have. Uh, 60 Days Money Back Guarantee if you don't like them. Um, Even if you don't like them and you return them, uh, the podcast, material on the website, all of that stuff is going to continue indefinitely. Um, So check it out and spread the word. That's pretty much all we're trying to do. All right. I do believe it's getting close to Christmas, correct? It is.
Christmas gifts could be plentiful, right? They could be. We'll see. We're trying. <laughs> That's another episode of Body IOFM. You've been listening to Body IOFM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.